This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. There are many people around the United States that are uh, looking and dealing with the government shutdown. It is the longest in U.S. history, been going on for some four weeks now. And while there seems to be little way out of this impasse right now, but as you look at what is going on between Republicans and Democrats, there's an interesting dynamic playing out, which is noted by Wharton professor, marketing professor, Americus Reed. You're starting to see some classic marketing and psychology techniques, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. Americus Reed discusses these techniques in a recent opinion piece appearing on the Knowledge of Wharton website titled Hitting a Wall, How Marketing Explains the Washington Stalemate. It's a pleasure to have our friend Americus Reed joining us in studio today. It's a pleasure to be here, Dan. As always, a pleasure to have you. So what are you seeing here? I I mean, that's kind of the interesting dynamic. I saw you refer to it. It's almost a little bit like a marketing 101 class. Marketing 101. This is straight out of the book. Textbook, segmentation, targeting, positioning, messaging. Uh, We just look at it and we we are fascinated by it as marketing academics because we are seeing this entire thing play out. We're seeing branding happening in real time. We're seeing customer segments being very pleased with one potential outcome, very displeased with another potential outcome. It's all sort of just out there in front of us happening in real time. So I'm talking about this in my class. I'm just excited because it's a lot of learnings and teachable moments. Okay, so let's put your professor hat on for a second here. Uh, And and STMP is the is the uh, is the how you relate to these uh, components. But take us through what they are and how you are seeing them play out in this shutdown right now. Absolutely. So Dan, what, what any brand is trying to do is to grow a very loyal base. And so from that perspective, you're trying to get consumers to tie into your brand, to what you're doing in a deep emotional way that really reflects their identity. So right. from that perspective, uh, President Trump has been, been extremely successful at talking messaging, STPM, messaging to his base, which is his target market. These are his loyalists, Fox News, his allies, um, and those right-wing groups that support him. Right. And so that's working out fantastically from a marketing perspective. The problem is most companies want to try to grow their base to get a larger market. And in fact, my understanding and most pundits' understanding is that to win an election in 2020, you got to have more numbers. And so you got to grow this target market. So that's where he's falling short because all of this branding, this marketing, this sort of mnemonic device, logo tagline, locker up, build the wall, you're fired, all these things are sort of playing into an emotional piece, but not really connecting with another group of consumers, voters, who you're going to have to pull in potentially to be successful. So I would imagine it's a little bit of a different dynamic because, one, he is coming from the business world. Yes. He's not a traditional politician Correct. In, in, in the scope of what we know in this country. So a lot of these pieces that you speak of work well for him mm-hmm. in the general public as his business moves along. Mm-hmm. But they don't when you're talking about the average voter that is worried about A, B, C, and D. And as you mentioned, we've got another election coming up in about a year and a half. That's exactly right. And I think what's interesting, Dan, about this is that, you know, there's a there's a debatable argument as to whether or not uh, President Trump is a good businessman. What we do know is he's a fantastic business promoter. Okay. And so that's a very different kind of thing. Running a business and being a brand and promoting uh, emotions through the brand are kind of two different things in yeah. some senses. And so he's really good at the latter. And uh, but it, it's really really playing out in the sense that, you know, this emotional component has some really powerful upside, but some really powerful downside as well. How much do you think that that these components that you say that he is very good at Mm -hmm. 
are relatively new to the political process. I think it's extremely new. I mean, let's just take, for example, social media, right? So basically a lot of the yeah. policies that are coming out are being tweeted out. Yeah. Uh, he, he messages directly to the base through Twitter. Uh, and that's pretty powerful because he can sort of say things that sort of plug them back in, re-engage them, fire them up in real time. The rallies are basically infomercials, if you will, yeah. for, for that loyal uh, target segment, that base uh, of supporters. And so he's working through kind of a – and I think all pundits would agree that this is a completely different approach to being a politician. Much different than what even President Obama had because President Obama was really the first one that, that jumped into yes. the Twitterverse uh, in terms of – using it uh, in his run-up to his last election. That's exactly right. So President Obama was sort of credited, if you will, by being savvy, so digitally savvy, you know. Yeah. So you know the digital immigrants versus the digital natives. I'm a digital, uh, you know, immigrant. So I'm I'm trying to figure out all this Instagram, social media, Twitter stuff. Sure. And he was one of the first who was really credited. President Obama credited with sort of using that effectively. But I think you got to say that President Trump is super effective at sort of circumventing kind of these traditional pathways of political protocol right. and going kind of directly to the base, making sure the base is happy and really kind of playing to those emotions that. That the base are going to react to and respond to and resonate with. How much do you think then that has changed the messaging of politicians in the last two years? And I'm thinking specifically of traditional politicians, whether they be Republican or Democrat, mm -hmm. who may not have used that as a vehicle yeah. prior, you know, prior to two years ago. I think it's massive, Dan, because I think what it does is now you have this sort of platform, 140 characters, I think, that it's there, and it's like, so what can you do in that small kind of bite-size uh, kind of um, protocol is that you can just do sort of really short messaging, emotional stuff. There's a very interesting study I talk about in my article that basically shows that when President Trump tweets... Uh, tweets that are moral and emotional as compared to when they're just moral or just emotional, yeah. the moral emotional tweets get shared at a much higher rate amongst his supporters. That's, that's something I wanted to get into anyway, because you really break it out that there is a moral component mm -hmm. to this messaging. Mm -hmm. There is uh, what also uh, uh, the other, I'm drawing a blank on the, the other. Identity uh, the identity piece. The identity piece to it. Yeah. But when you bring the two together. Yes. You're talking about a powerful message. Here. It's hugely powerful, Dan. I, there's three components I talk about in the article. As you said, I talk about emotions. I talk yeah. about identity. And I talk about conflict. It turns out that there's something hardwired in us. It's tribal. It's it's evolutionarily kind of built into our DNA. And that is we we go to our in-groups. We want to protect our in-group relative to some out-group. Yeah. And this out-group that we want to defend against gives our in-group a sense of meaning. And so the more we feel conflict, the more we feel uh, kind of affiliated with this group that we're trying to protect. And that is really playing out right now on the political process oh my with how a, a, the ability, let's go back 20 years, to see kind of a middle of the road. Yes. You know, people sometimes would identify yes. as somebody who would be a middle of the road yes. political supporter. Yes. You really don't have a lot of that anymore. You are truly either Democrat or Republican, and yes. there's not a whole lot of, lot of crossover there. It's hugely not a lot of crossover, and here's why, Dan. It's because a lot of the arguments that are coming out are emotional arguments. Right. And there's, as the emotional piece is very important here, Dan, because what happens when you base a decision on emotions, the research is very clear. I talk about this in the article as well. 
an emotional decision feels more authentic to who you are compared to a sure. decision that's made based on facts or a deliberating or rationally right. thinking through things. So we're in a world now where you're either with us or against us. Uh, and so to take the government shutdown example, it's like this wall, which nobody really knows what it is in terms of like unpacking it and like, let's right. talk about what is this thing, wall versus border security, et cetera, et cetera. All it is now is like a symbol of identity. And so for the Trump supporters, the wall literally is, this is us protecting us, those dangerous others are going to come get us. We have to build this to protect the integrity, and that's what it means to be American. And right. the other side is saying exactly the opposite of right, that, right? Right, right? And so, But this is an identity argument, right? And so yeah. because it's an identity argument, there can be no middle ground. But the other problem that you run into, and we've seen it in various video clips, is that you have some of the people, the politicians who are f fighting against that wall being built yes are people that were saying yes we need to have heightened security yes. four years ago six years ago yes, yes. they have flipped their yes. narrative because of the political the yes. political realm it's a huge sort of interesting sort of conundrum because the the definitions are like all kind of muddled like what is the difference between border security versus wall yeah. and every no i don't think anyone would sit and argue that you don't care about border security. And we sure. need to, right? Everyone yeah. agrees on that. I would think so, yeah. And that, that's the common point. But yet, when you start trying to talk about, okay, what do we need to do to make a deal? One side says we got to build this wall. Other side says that this wall is antithetical to who we are as Americans and in this republic, in this democracy. We're not going to do it. We're not going to give you a penny for it. Right. And so how do you get a win-win situation for both sides? Very difficult. So how is psychology playing into this process as well? Huge. Well, psychology plays into this process, Dan, because... Here's the problem. There is we know this from psychology that when you start hunkering down and you feeling you're feeling conflict, you've got emotional arguments, it's almost impossible to pull yourself out. And what happens over time, the research is very clear on this, is that as you hunker down and as you have these emotional arguments that feel more authentic to your self-concept, they're tied to your identity, they're, they are rooted in kind of conflict with this other side. As you think about this over time and try to deliberate in your mind, you actually start building a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy around digging in deeper because right. just thinking about it just puts you in more emotional state, ruminating on it. And the psychology says you're going to keep going in this negative spiral. And you kind of see that. We almost got out of it. You know, President Trump was willing to do something. Thing. And then the Fox News pundits put a little note in his ear saying, hey, you know, you said you were going to build that wall. If you don't build that wall, you are weak. And yeah. President Trump said, well, wait a minute. My brand is strong leader. I can't be weak. So he pulled the plug on the whole thing. And now we are where we are. I guess it's interesting because what you're also talking about here is a time where uh, that messaging it has to be as crisp and as clear as yes. possible. Yes. And yet. They and part of this, I think, is linked to what we've seen on Twitter and the concerns that part of the reason why we saw various executives from social media companies yeah. in front of Congress last year yes. is that there is a concern of the messaging yes. of the fake bots of, uh, you know, of all of this element being a negative impact and playing into that. We're delivering a message. It may not be the exact truthful message, <laughs> right. but it's going to serve a purpose right. in delivering the message of, of either the left side or the right. That's right. And what's very critical in messaging, Dan, which is unfortunate, is that it has to be simple. 
right? It has to be kind of rememberable, uh, memorable, like, excuse me, and it has to be very simplistic. The problem is these issues are inherently complex. And so right. when you try to boil them down into the soundbite or the tagline or the logo, you lose something. And if there's nothing behind that tagline or logo or not enough clarity or granularity or nuance to be able to understand what the complexity around these issues are, you're going to run into a problem when you actually try to sit down and have a robust negotiation about coming to some sort of compromise. America Shree joining us in studio. You hear him uh, as one of the hosts of Marketing Matters Weekly here on Sirius XM uh, 132, also a professor here uh, at the Wharton School. So where we are right now, and because we have this this back and forth, and we have this split, mm-hmm. and we have these <laughs> elements of, of marketing and branding and yeah. psychology playing in, there are a lot of people that are concerned that this is not even close to being over. Oh, I would be in that group, Dan. I think that it's hard to envision uh, the pathway to a win-win, and it's because the identity piece is there. It's like for one of these groups to give into a particular compromise, let's say, okay, well, here's some money for border security, and President Trump is going to want to say, well, this is money for building this wall. And the other side says, no, I can't. This stands against who I am. Yeah. So you just can't, you, you can't, you, you're asking one of these sides to change who they are. And that's a very different proposition than trying to give rational arguments about, you know, what are the best ways that we can create border security and where does a wall fit on that list of priorities with technology and other right. things, et cetera, et cetera. You can't even get to that discussion because you're, the initial starting point to even have the discussion is requiring that one of these two sides admit that they're willing to change something that is deeply uh, rooted in their core beliefs. Right. And that would be giving in. Giving in by definition. And then you're opening up this sort of game theory sort of idea. What if I give in now and later on there's something very serious that happens and now I've co- sort of compromised my ability and my integrity to be able to negotiate. Right. And so that that further like digs you in and makes you sort of sort of go and retreat more into the echo chamber and making sure that you're just not going to hear anything the other side has to say. And that's true for both sides, by the way. America Street joining us in studio. Your comments are welcome at 844 844- or Wharton, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. What bothers, I think, a lot of people, it bothers Mm -hmm. me to a degree as well, is the fact that this is going on Mm -hmm. with the people in Capitol Hill, and yet you have 800,000 people that have been furloughed. Uh, You have, as we've talked about on this show, so many other connections to those people, whether they be businesses or being able to put food on the table that are being negatively impacted by this. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like those people, those businesses have been locked out. It's like you've put these these two people, and we'll use that for for the the, uh, purpose of the discussion, Mm -hmm. President Trump and Speaker Pelosi, Mm -hmm. and we put them in a bull ring, and nobody nobody can get within the arena to be able to have a conversation with them. That's exactly right. I think you're pointing to a very critical point, and that is essentially the huge tragedy in all of this, Dan, is that there are a bunch of consumers out there, people, real people with real lives, being affected by this. And this is, I guess, you know, collateral damage of a a kind of political uh, calculus that is going on that is quite just right now at a huge stalemate. And so until many of these stories start coming out, until there is political uh, downside to this, you're not going to see any movement whatsoever. 
Is there a way that you see to kind of counteract the branding that's going on from both sides at this point? You, you know what? I, I've thought about it a lot, Dan. I talk about this in the article as well in the context of how would we potentially try to think about rebranding the wall? Okay, so is there a way to kind of kind of move away from all of this emotionality but sort of keep, at least for President Trump and his base, the integrity of what he, he believes he's promised as a strong leader to these people? And I think the answer to that has been – that's possible. However, there has to be some kind of uh, willingness, to sort of willingness to sort of change the message. And I yeah. think Lindsey Graham uh, and others have come out and said, you know, they've said, and I talk about this in an article as well. They said, listen, don't get caught up on the wall. The wall is a metaphor for border security. Sure. So they tried to roll it back slowly. All, and even Ann Coulter jumped on this saying, hey, listen, people are going crazy. Wall, wall, wall. It's a four-letter word, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody relax. We're all trying to get to the same thing. And people start, okay, well, maybe we can start moving to the middle ground here. But then President Trump immediately jumps well, on right. Twitter yeah, right. and, <laughs> and said, no, no, no. I said wall. I meant wall. I meant build the wall. <laughs> so, so, but that would tell me then, then that narrative is not necessarily always coming from the people in Congress that, yes. that are Republicans supporting him, but the supporters, the people that funded President Trump's yes. run yes. to the politician, which again brings up the issue uh, of the funding of politicians in Washington, D.C. Totally. I think this is huge because this is sort of the political calculus, again, playing out in the context of branding and psychology, in the context of a lot of people, like you said, Dan, 800,000 people affected directly from this, and who knows how many others in terms of the ripple effects. I was just yeah. talking to your producer and your sound engineer about all of these stories that we're hearing about of folks that are being second, third, fourth order affected by this, the retail businesses dropping off, all these things. And the pundits are... I don't know if they feel this. I don't know if they see this sort of consumer uh, urgency, this, this 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 sort of idea that people are being affected by this. And that has yeah. to enter into the political calculus before anything's going to be done. But the, the difference about this shutdown than any other one that we've had in, in past, one is the length of it. There, there's no question that that's part of it. But two is the component of social media oh. being used yeah. to, to pitch those – the, those sides from one side or the other. If you think, go back 2013. <laughs> when, yeah. I mean, realistically, right. we didn't have this back and forth over to this extent on social media because of it. That's exactly it right. It has changed because of the, and President Obama used Twitter mm -hmm. to be able to help get elected, mm -hmm. but he didn't use Twitter as a vehicle yes. of policy. Yes. We have entered a totally new realm because President Trump likes to use Twitter as mm -hmm. a policy path. And the pop problem with that is Twitter is a loaded gun. In some senses, Dan, because it is real-time messaging to millions of people. I like that. I got to write that down. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is a loaded. It's gun. like a loaded gun. They tell people, listen, you know, be careful when you before you hit that send button. You know, maybe let someone else look at it and talk about it before you do it. But it's it's really well designed for. And I think this has been a term that's been used out there in the political uh, world. Dan is this notion of uh, policy making by impulse, which is dangerous because something sure. pops in your head. Oh, here are the 140 characters. Press a button. And now you've done something that the world, I mean, this is the, I mean, we had this conversation with, with Spicer early on. It's like, are these tweets official uh, mandates from the president? The answer was yes. Yeah. And so now we're in this world where if there's no filter on this, this is like a loaded gun because it becomes very dangerous and the messaging is out there happening in real time. So as you try to walk back, rebrand slowly, which is a hard thing to do anyway, yeah. if the president is counter messaging your attempt on as your white wing, right wing allies to help 
get to a middle ground, it's not going to get you anywhere for those reasons. And, and then that has uh, probably also enhanced what we hear from some of the media outlets as well. Yeah. Because if we're seeing a lot of this stuff on Twitter, on Facebook, mm-hmm. then in this world of, of the media that we have right now where we have more content out there than ever before. Yes. We have more avenues to be able to broadcast that content. Totally. You have a need to fill 24 7, 365. <laughs> yes. On a hundred and whatever different media outlets. <laughs> right. These stories are going it, to, it's part of why we see a change in the actual, in the publishing industry yes. when you think newspapers. Yeah, I think it's huge. Mm-hmm. Newspapers mm-hmm. now report on tweets. <laughs> More so than ever before. Right. And, mm-hmm. and we don't know if there is a true validity behind what is being put out in Twitter sometimes. Totally true. And and not having a protocol, a, a well-established mechanism to sort of filter what's going through the Twitter sphere uh, as you message to these consumers who are your loyal base is extremely dangerous, Dan. So part of this problem also is something we've talked about on this show is the want to get the message out there mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily check the A, B, and C behind it. Yeah. It's very dangerous because it creates a situation where the impulse happens, and now it's kind of like the opposite. Usually you deliberate, 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 make a decision, put it out there. Now it's like the decision gets made, and then you're looking around at each other, and you're saying, okay, how do we justify this? How do we walk it back? How do we make it seem like it was logical? It's almost in the reverse now because of the social media uh, context. I wonder if there is somebody that could be that promoter on the other side to Mm -hmm. be able to counteract President Trump. Because as you said, he may not be the greatest deal maker, but he's one of the best promoters <laughs> oh, that, that you've seen out there. He's a he's a brand savvy master. He's really, really good at tapping into emotions, like some, some emotions like fear and just getting a base riled up. This is what the rallies are for, getting them excited, excitement, anger, uh, fear. This is what gets people to go out and vote. He understands that. He brands that within the context of the things that he says, the, the taglines, the logos, et cetera. The social media it accelerates this. It amplifies it. It makes it makes it feel like it's more real than it actually is. And all of these things are sort of converging on this idea of further drawing in and not being willing to listen to the other side under any circumstances. Do you think that this is a the, the path that we are headed with some of our political discussions moving forward? And, and, and I say that, that at some point, whether it's a year and a half mm-hmm. or five and a half years, President Trump is not going to be in office. Yeah. And, and at, to this point, when you think about the run-up to 2020, we really haven't seen another businessman want to come forward and and take this job we all we, all of the people that potentially are going to run on the democratic side mm-hmm. are career politicians yes. and so it's almost like we're going to go back Mm-hmm. to what it was before. It's interesting. I think we are going to go back. Well, By definition, eventually we will go back. But I think what will be interesting is I don't think we're going to go all the way back, Dan. I think we're going to find kind of a hybrid somewhere okay. in there where we're going to sort of assume a bit more, quote, presidential approach, measured, deliberate response, you know, kind of more thoughtful right. kind of analysis before policy and all of these things. But I think you are going to continue to see kind of this messaging, but done in a less kind of sporadic and chaotic way. So I think the tools are still going to be very useful for politicians. I mean, if you look at the young senators coming in who are the Instagram stars and, you know, yeah. telling, you know, I mean, they, they're going to use this Teaching stuff. people how to take selfies in, yeah. on Capitol I mean, Hill. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a totally yeah. different world, right? The digital yeah. natives are now coming into government and they're going to use the tools that they grew up with. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Great seeing you again. Great to be here. I appreciate Thanks. you. Thanks, America. It's all the best. Marcus Reed, as we mentioned, you hear him uh, every week as uh, one of the hosts of Marketing Matters uh, and also uh, professor of marketing here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit... 
knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.